college dude and a gal each have a wildly different but equally thrilling night out in Kyoto as their misadventures connect the dots of a city full of eccentric weirdos and their lurid tales in Yuasa Masaaki's funky, hilarious musical adaptation of Morimi Tomihiko's beloved novel. The night is short. Walk on, girl. Are you ready to go? Oh, the fact that they discovered that ability, they figured out how to fold proteins. They got a, a computer program developed by Google that can now figure out how to fold proteins. This is a really big deal. Yeah, you, just, you just put the arms in first and, and then you no, take no, that's the back definitely part. Not. You know, I, I appreciate your desire to, to fold proteins, but no, <laughs> it's, it's not. Um... What are we doing? We have a show to do, Munson. Welcome, Nakamadomo, to Okashia Podcast Anime with Friends. I am Sabrina Ray, and I rage hard. With me is my wingman, Don. Can I call you Don Underwear? I mean, <laughs> you can call me whatever you would like, I suppose. Will I appreciate it? It is questionable. So this week's uh, intermission before we start series four, Paranoia Agent, is following up on our Eizouken coverage because the director is the same. It's uh, Masaaki Yuasa, or Yuasa Masaaki, depending on whether you want to say it the Japanese way or the, like, Occidental way. I don't know what to call it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I don't even remember. Is Occidental still a thing people use? Well, you can't use it you can't use Oriental. You can't use Oriental, but that really is the but the I think you can. To I think you can use Occidental. Occidental. Yeah, anyway, see, this is all besides the point. I'm now calling you Dawn Underwear from now on because this movie's crazy. It it is a crazy movie. It is filled with lots of really strange, really eccentric characters. Um, in preparation for this film, I actually watched the series that precedes it, which was. Um, the Tatami Galaxy, which is this really wild series about this guy who has feelings for a girl. If this sounds familiar, stop me. <laughs> I'm stopping you right here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has feelings for a girl, and um, they're connected to this little tchotchke that fell off of her bag um, or that she lost the f- in the laundry. And the feelings he's, are? He's got it for some reason. He, like, okay. Call it kismet, call it whatever you want to. But he has her tchotchke, her little bear tchotchke. And instead of just going and saying how he feels, does this sound familiar? Stop me if it sounds familiar. (laughs) Instead of just going and talking to the girl, possibly asking her out or doing anything about it, he instead envisions this, these, he instead envisions all the different scenarios that could lead to his rose colored college life. And um, there are actually characters. Wait, lead overlap. to his rose-colored college right, life. Right, so he's he's he, he reimagines this two-year period um, in his college life that he's going to have this amazing time. So, like, he imagines himself as um, joining the bicycle club or the cyclist club, and he imagines um, I forget what they all are, but all of them basically it 
because it's called Tatami Galaxy, he lives in this really small room. It's a very common thing we've talked about on the show before, but in Japan, it's very common for Japanese people to have very small rooms, but have a very like outward life where they spend a lot of their time outside the house,、uh, especially in college. I guess that's true of American colleges as well, but it does persist a little bit more there than it does here because I guess. It's just, just how it's built. And then you can even see some of that in the, in,、um, the Night is Short Walk On Girl, where they don't really spend、oh, a lot of time. They don't really spend a lot of time in rooms. They spend a lot of time, like, sort of wandering the night. And anyway, just, you, don't, you didn't watch Tatami Galaxy, but.、Um, no. There are but characters. But what you have described is very similar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about,、um, a bit, a little bit about the Night is Short Walk On Girl? Before I get into sort of the connections between the two, I can tell you this it's based on a novel by the same person who wrote Tatami Galaxy,、um, and they're both the same director. So visually, looks very similar. Dialogue,、um, the writing voices are very, very much in sync.、Um, and there's, there's a, in, in Tatami Galaxy, it was much more about the man's voice. And、uh, his adventures, and, and none of them have names. I mean, some characters have names, but the main characters do not have names. They are known as man, woman,、uh, girl, raven haired girl,、uh, senpai. <laughs> so, like. Are you describing. I can't even tell if you're describing Tatami Galaxy, if you're describing.、Uh, right. The,、uh, the they're very、show. similar.、Um, in this one, they're called Otome and Senpai.、Uh, senpai is just an older. Classmate and Otome is just girl in this case or maiden. I wouldn't translate it as maiden though. That's I like that they translated it as walk on girl because it has it has the right vibe. Anyway, tell so, us a little bit about the movie. I mean, at a at a high level, let's just talk about plot. We've got we've got a, <laughs> a high younger、level. girl <laughs> uh, and and a slightly older gentleman, but they both seem to be attending. The same school. Yes, in Kyoto.、Uh, and the action takes place around presumably one night when the girl decides she's going to sort of get out and explore the city. This is going to be her big adventure. She's oblivious of the man and his, his desires or intentions. And the man has also decided tonight is the night he's going to screw up the courage to ask her out.、Um, but they, in fact, spend most of the movie apart and Most of the action is driven by the girl and her activities throughout the evening. How she, she goes to a bar and has a drink. She、uh, fends off a lecher. She meets up with a couple who take her out to basically a party crashing expedition. Yes.、Um, it turns out that she is a prodigious drinker、um, and appears to be unaffected by alcohol. I want to stop you there just so I can point out that、um, she never turns pink. <laughs> like, everyone who's drinking and drunk is actually like painted with this beautiful shade of pink、uh, to show that they are, in fact, inebriated. But she drinks more than anyone else in the movie. And somehow, in fact, they make a point of that. <laughs> somehow she is always still white. Completely unaffected. Yeah, no, it, I definitely wanted to return to that. And I, I, I wanted to get some comments. So I'll just you know, elaborate briefly on her adventure. She gets involved in a guerrilla theater group and ends up 
taking the place of somebody. She she has a drinking competition where she faces off against some otherworldly character. She saves this this father from getting horrible consequence that he would owe this underworldly character, otherworldly character. And then she goes around curing everybody of some cold or disease they caught. And eventually she and the the senpai, the the male character, um, meet up. At the same time, or in a parallel series of events, the the male character is chasing after her um, and undergoing generally a series of misadventures. Um, he does intersect with, uh, the, the girl on occasion, he gets opportunities to speak to her and- Oh, when you say intersect, do you mean he falls from the sky showing her his dick? (laughs) Uh, that is in fact one of the ways in which he intersects with her. (laughs) And then she she Tomodachi punches him into the river. (laughs) There are some particular- display a cultural bias and say some particular Japanese-ness uh, or interpretations, um, tropes that get uh, that get thrown around that, you know, if if you're not somehow used to seeing this in cinema, yeah. if this were your first introduction to this <laughs> kind of thing from a, a purely Occidental, if you will, view, I can tell you that is bizarre as fuck. Like, what the hell is going on would definitely cross your mind. I I don't think it's culturally it's culturally a thing that there's a squadron that goes around stripping people of their underwear. No, no, no. I, I, not that that happens, but the comedic value. Yeah, well, we'll get to there. So just to, to recap again at a high level, um, many comic misadventures befall um, our our purported hero. I would I would really argue that the the maiden is the hero of this particular flick in more ways than one. Um, but uh, you know, he's he has he has his friends trying to help him in his particular quest. You mentioned Don Underwear, who is a character who uh, has his own brief sort of side plot that goes briefs. on. His brief side plot. Yes. Um, <laughs> He's called Don Underwear because he never washes his underwear. By the way, because he's because if he does, he like he's made a vow not to until he meets this girl who he had a a weird meet cute with, where apples fell from the heavens and bonked them on the head, and he took it as a a sign that the universe was telling him that he was in love. Indeed, and that particular plot line gets even weirder when it's when it's determined, in fact, what actually happened. Um, The He's also um, aided by what the the festival what was the head, title? the the head of the festival, yes, who appears to be working some sort of machinations in the background to to assist him, generally fruitlessly in his adventures. Well, he does um, give him the key information he needs that that uh, he has to that the girl is looking for this childhood book of hers called Ratatatam. Uh, which is just like a, it's just a, it's like a, a picture book, and it, she's actually looking f- the the copy that she owned and sold at some point, or that her parents sold, is in circulation somewhere around this used book fair. Yeah, it's uh, that that book fair is a, I is it the sort of the plurality of the movie takes place in this book fair? Would you say? 
I don't know about that. It's there's four parts to the movie. There's the 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 initial part drinking in I think it's called Ponto Cho. Is it well, Ponto you're Cho? skipping ahead. I mean, we start off in a, a a marriage ceremony or a party. Well, no, I would say that that's no. part of the night out drinking. Okay. It, yes. So the first part's the night out drinking, then the second part is the book fair, and then the third part is the gorilla staging. And then the final part I felt part like that took place in the, the book fair as well. Um, there is a part where it breaks, though, where um, we find out that the, <laughs> the Japanese kotatsu, the running kotatsu, as it's called, where they, like, pick up a kotatsu and carry it around with them. Do you know what a kotatsu is? It's like this table that usually it sinks in. But in this case, it would just be flat on the ground, but it has a blanket over it and a heater underneath, like an artificial heat generator, um, so that people who put their legs in would then benefit from the the warmth. trapped warmth. Oh, when you say artificial heat generator, what would be a non-artificial heat generator? Like the sun. <laughs> 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 let's just call it a heat generator. Yeah, let's just call it a heat generator. You don't have to get so picky with me on that one. I just, I just really point. wanted to know what the artificial was in the artificial heat. It could generator. be a fire. <laughs> I mean, but that's not artificial, is it? <laughs> oh no, I guess not. <laughs> Well, no, that would be the that would be non-artificial. <laughs> That's the non-artificial. I, I really want to know what the artificial is. Is it something that generates light but not heat? I guess. Anyway, um, did you wrap? Uh, you you kind of got. I didn't. The, I didn't really wrap you. So I I mentioned. I the do. Girl, I'm interrupting, but it's a long uh, yeah, well, story. You, so just, I need you to can't help yourself. You know, <laughs> no, you I think I, you got to editorialize my my telling. So yeah, the the. The man is generally comedic relief, but his intention is to win the heart um, of the the maiden. Uh, and he goes many different ways about this. Um, he comedically loses his underpants, as you mentioned. <laughs> struggles to reacquire a set of underpants. Ends up getting punched by the maiden. Um, finds out that the maiden is looking for this book. Undergoes some sort of trial whereby he obtains the book after out eating a bunch of extremely spicy food in a challenge against three others <laughs> who are all seeking seeking their own books one of them is seeking like a some sort of historical pornographic yes there's book. a whole subplot about these people called the bedroom investigators um that the man that you mentioned the father of the bride is part of and they they are collectors of like it's almost like there's a there's a like because it's old there's supposedly like a taste value assigned to it right right it's it's tasteful pornography because it is art and it is art because it is old and drawn as opposed to lurid photographs of yeah. naked women so therefore it is uh considered art as opposed to pornography but the guy who were introduced to the art through ends up at first he looks like kind of like say he's giving sage wisdom to otome but then suddenly out of nowhere his hand just keeps dropping and oh it's not out of nowhere it's clearly telegraphed right and well i'm just saying like he that like it goes from like him like talking about his like taking her through the the ins and outs of drinking whiskey and stuff and, and well and then suddenly his hand is on her breast and like 
it's clear that he's just a perv. Oh, yes. But I think, you know, it, it's the classic hallmarks where he talks about how woe is me. I'm not, I've got a daughter, but I'm not worthy. I'm such a, trying to play upon the sympathies of. Right. Of but he crosses the, that line pretty quickly when he's like, oh, you super. remind me of my daughter here. I'm touching your boobs. Yep. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't take much time at all. And then once she uh, clocks him, he somehow explodes uh, with a sheaf of these papers flying all over the room, which end up being this old pornographic art. Gosh, there's so much to talk about. After he procures the book, he goes into this gorilla theater in order to set himself up as the individual who will kiss the maiden. That fails. He does not kiss the maiden. The parties uh, disperse. He sort of broken and alone returns to his house. Um, and as we mentioned, there is some somehow somebody is transmitting a cold who everybody but the maiden is immune to. The maiden goes around curing everyone. The man is sort of bereft and alone, um, bemoaning his fate at home. Um, but then as the maiden goes from person to person, she is directed finally to uh, the, the senpai. And so she goes to his home and she's fighting very hard against what appears to be his his internal struggle, I think is the best way to phrase it. Yeah, I would um, say that. He, he desperately wants her there, but he also is unwilling to open up. There, This is actually a scene that we have to dissect later, but he, there's a significant period where he is sort of trapped in his own mind, just mentally dissecting all the different things that can happen or not happen and with relation to a relationship and, and it's clear it's he's terrified of taking the first step and of actually um sort of opening himself up to possible heartache or making himself vulnerable she does come there she she sees him she helps nurse him he works up the courage to ask her out um, and they meet at a coffee shop and have a, a legitimate date both of which both of them appearing to want this particular romantic outcome there's a nice bookend there and i think that's where i'm going to stop you there's a Absolutely. nice bookend because the movie starts with him coming up i mean it starts with the girl but when we get introduced to him he's sitting there trying to come up with a plan because the girl as we see in the movie she's always moving forward she's living in the present she's almost like she is a force of nature she visualizes herself as a train just chugging along. And the guy sort of thinks about, um, like, what what might happen? What, what could happen? Like, his plans are all based on, like, kind of aligning the universe to connect him and her together. In Japanese, they use the word, um, he, he talks about making the, the red string of fate, which is a thing that ties two pinky fingers together. Um, of two of people, two people who are fated to be together. He has this plan to say, like, just be seen by her in situations enough that she starts thinking that he's important or something to her. So, like, um, he shows up and he's like, "Ha ha! I just happen to be here. I just happen to be here." And her line is. Mm, what a coincidence and he's like no right. no, no she I says what a coincidence he's it just it's by chance it's by chance yeah so they he, there's there's a lot and this this is a recurring 
uh, trope that we see in the movie. Yeah, it happens again when he's on stage. His whole song, which is hilarious, is just about him saying, I happen to be here, which obviously he has to uh, repel or what is that called? A zip line? Yeah. He has to zip line through fire to get to the stage, to upstage the the um, the underwear. I don't Dawn remember. Underwear, Dawn, Dawn underwear. Will. He has another name. It's like the... <laughs> the what is it? The the curmudgeon? No, the, the braggart <laughs> of Monte Cristo? No. It's a strange word. It's a word I don't often use. The codger of Monte Cristo. He he upstages him and knocks him off the, the, the like high stage that they've built for them for the gorilla plays. And he takes over the, the lead performance and and that's exactly what he says. He says, like, I just happened to be here. It's like, so yeah, of course you were. You 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 flew through fire and arrived at the stage and just happened to be here. And she doesn't miss a beat. Oh. She's just like, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> and then it flips at the end. It flips at the end, and that's how you know that like he's we're in we're in his reality now. We're in like real time, and like he finally told her. Like we saw him finally like kind of confess that um, that he wants to go out with her and ask her out and. When she shows up, you know, they kind of flip the dialogue, which I thought was a really cute twist. I will tell you this. uh, The book is slightly different than the anime adaptation. The festival leader that we talked about who had a secret, which was not a secret because it's given away very quickly, but he's a cross-dresser. And he often dresses as a woman in order to um, vex or lead on men for the attention, I assume. For the lols. For the lols, sure. Um, probably in the movie version, he definitely is expressing something deeper. Uh, because when it comes time to say, like, like when the guy confesses his love, um, the it turns out that the the, the apple girl, the, the, the girl that was with him when the apples fell on them, the apple girl was actually the festival leader, which is not the case in the book. She's never given a name or a personality in the book. Um, but in this version, it's the festival leader in drag and they have a confrontation where the festival leader, like kind of, he's been trying to shut down the gorilla, gorilla musical that, uh, keeps popping up all over town and disparaging the work that he's doing. In addition to also being this sort of like, uh, search for the, the under the Dawn underwear character has a thing for his dream girl he's been putting on these stage plays in order to lure her out and confess his feelings and hope that she reciprocates and instead of finding like a girl that would reciprocate his feelings he finds the festival leader who's trying to shut him down but then he says you know i I still want you And the festival leader says, well, okay, I'll just be a girl then. But well, I, that's... I, it was more like if, if you're going to reciprocate my intentions, in fact, I will make myself vulnerable and open to you. Uh, Literally, he says, though, like, I'll be a girl. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yes, you're correct. Um, and that whole thing gets messy, but uh, it turns out I, that... I was the, curious. It turns out that the director has feelings for him, and then they get a meet cute when... Toto-san's missing koi rain from the sky. There's a tornado at some point, and 
Although the ending of the film has a lot of weather in it, um, I don't know if it's connected. Like the the, the weather generated by uh, loneliness and this movie is hard to hard to talk about because there's a lot of layers that sort of feed into each other. And I guess I should start there. All these little stories happen almost like little vignettes. You're seeing like little slices of an evening um, as, as the characters moved through different phases and different settings. So, you know, she's drinking with one group and she learns this really I mean, Otome is drinking with one group and she learns this really silly dance. And she starts doing it. It looks like a crab kind of walking, but with like their face all contorted and their arms jutting out to the side rhythmically. Arms akimbo. Yeah. And it's from this society of sophists, right? (laughs) Or sophists. They have all these petty arguments and they, they do this silly dance and she joins in and everybody starts getting into it. And then she goes to another group, which I think is a relative of the bride. And they're all much older and they're so cynical. Stodgy. And they see that she drank all of their alcohol. And then she just kind of like brazenly declares that she'll drink all the alcohol in the sight. And I, I love that part. And I, I love the fact that she's like, you want to see something special? Watch this. And then she does the stupid dance. And it turns out that that stupid dance was invented by those guys. and it, By the old people at that, at that party. Yeah. And, and they, it they're reignites. ecstatic. It reignites that like passion they have for, for life. And to see that their legacy, their dumb legacy is continuing, suddenly like brings them back. There's a there's a whole thing happening in the movie, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. But um, time is relative in this movie for different characters, and it's a point they keep making. Uh, whenever whenever she goes to meet these different characters, their watches move at a different speed than hers. Um, Otome's watch moves almost slowly. It's very deliberate, and and it's is probably real time. And she meets. Two different groups that really highlight this. She meets Haguki, which is the dental assistant. You don't know much about her because she's from Tatami Galaxy. And she meets Higuchi, who is the samurai-looking guy who refers to himself. With a big chin. He refer- yeah, a huge chin. Comically huge. Um, and he's always wearing a yukata, a Japanese kind of kimono for men. I guess yukata also could be for women, but it's, it's more of a casual... Uh, less showy kimono. Um, he's wearing that through the movie. He wears gaita on his feet. He's very traditional. Uh, he's also refers to himself as a tengu, which in Japanese there's there's phrases about that, which just it just basically means a braggart or like a self centered person. Um, and that seems to be his whole lifestyle. Anyway, those two their clocks move pretty quickly, much faster than hers. But the old people, their clocks are just spinning wildly. Just time is just flying for them. To me, the the clock, the, the spinning of the watches and the, the, the impressions of time was related to that for her, she had her whole life. She had all these experiences in front of her. Like time is not, time is not urgent yeah, for her. I get that. And for these other parties, the older you get, 
you know, the less time you have, the more you've squandered it, you've spent your experiences, you know, you have very little, you'll have little experiences left. For you, you know, time is fleeting. Um, and it, to me, for her, it was particularly slow because she was sort of young and innocent and, um, and guileless. Like, she, there's no artifice about her. She's very straightforward, honest, sincere, um, almost to a fault, honestly, uh, which I would speak about in a bit. Like, only near the end of the movie does she express any sort of self self-doubt or self-reflection to me and maybe i'm being a little harsh and i, I need to rethink that i do want to i do want to comment on that before you move on um i interpreted that as sort of she spends the whole movie being that sort of like sounding board for other people and yes like she she keeps moving forward never stopping to think about her own needs in a situation or wants, or wants. Yeah. and when she gets to the sort of like the uh, towards the end of the film and everyone is sick and she's been sort of used up she looks into her own heart and realizes that she hasn't really taken any time at all to think about how she feels and she doesn't really understand what's going on in there. Like when they open up her chest, it's just a bunch of puffy white clouds. And, uh, and that's the first time she sort of starts asking herself, like, what does she want? And she starts thinking about her senpai, um, who she's been told to go see because he's in a really bad way. Oh, and he also, he cares about her a great deal. He, she should recognize that. Well, yeah, he does. And, and I think that she's, I think that, She's been not oblivious to it, maybe, but she certainly hasn't taken time to let that moss grow on the rock, you know, like a rolling stone catches no moss. Um, And she hasn't stood still long enough for those feelings to catch up with her. Yeah, she hasn't really seemed to care all that much. Like it's and it doesn't seem important to her. She's not out seeking a relationship. She's out seeking experiences, man. Yeah, she's out uh, just you know, partying on the town. Meanwhile, you've got Senpai brooding in a corner and basically, you know, fidgeting over his feelings and highly desirous of her. And I actually think this to me is the biggest weakness of the movie um, is that it really, the movie still to me seems like it is based in a view that this neurotic man can still, like, I, I don't feel like from what we know of the girl's character, that it really makes sense that she is interested or looking to actually settle down with with the senpai. Like, to me, it made sense for her to just be, you know, a nice short walk on. She's out there to sort of experience life. Right, but and look at the way they contrast that with the man. His, who is not he, out there experiencing life. He has a vision of them with a child... <laughs> He sees the future. He sees far into the future for them. But she only wants to go on a date, I think, at the end. Like, she's willing just to take it one step at a time. And I think that she brings him over to her side more when they finally make their connection. Yeah, and I would agree. And then you start seeing a little more self-reflection. But I I felt like this was... 
and I'm going to be as overly critical, if you will, in my statement here. This is the dream of a man who is envisioning basically this this caricature of a perfect woman who drags him out of his own reverie and into the real world. And, and there's no, as you mentioned, there's very little um, self-reflection on her part of whether that's even something she wants. There is a little bit. There's a little bit near the end where she's like, oh, well, I would like to, maybe I'd like to catch a cold too. Um, yes, that's exactly it. Maybe I'd like to catch a cold too. I wrote down that that's like, that's it, man. That's what it, this is about. That's what the cold is. Um, it's this thing that passes from person to person. And it separates them from her. Like, she's able to solve all these other people's problems, but she doesn't have a cold to solve. Or she doesn't until right. until she finally says that maybe I'm catching one. But I, I feel like her... It's it's like it's another sort of manifestation of a manic prixie dream girl. Oh, that, I don't want you to say that, but I get it. I get it because I, I mean, did yeah. I did see some similarities in this movie even to something like Amelie or the fabulous destiny of Amelie, the the French movie with Audrey mm-hmm. Tateau. That movie was about a girl who sort of like distracted herself with other people's problems and sort of like made herself into a person who's who mischievously goes around finding love for others but can't find it for herself Mm -hmm. until of course you know she reckons with her feelings and and is able to like the, the universe sort of like grants her this this guy that she's been trying to get to she, I, it's kind of about karma. It's weird. There's a lot of different yeah, interpretations no, I, of that I, film. I, I saw it as well. It's it's a fun flick. But it, the, to watch the, if you the, the 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 look and feel of that movie, the 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 tone is very similar to me when it's the girl. I wanted to talk a little bit about the man versus the woman because there's there's a lot happening there, and you were talking about them the, the the two parallel stories. And what I really like is that the girl is constantly doing things. She's constantly sort of like generating action. She steps into situations, almost like a bystander. And then she sort of becomes either the star of the moment or she does something that generates movement in everything. The man just has a lot of things happen to him. Yes, yes. He is, He is. to go back to my perfect um, anti-protagonist, he's like the dude. Things happen to him. It's not that he causes them to happen. But, and this is the thing that I found annoying about Senpai. Why would such a force of nature like the, the girl be attracted to a fairly neurotic um sort of sheltered un un uncharacter driving individual like he's he's in many ways sort of trapped in his own mind and the the sequence when he is envisioned when he's like he's all these different versions of himself are trying to shut her out and and that this is manifested both by 
horrible weather that she has to fight through in order to get to his place, but also, you know, this vision of him running away inside these caverns of his own mind until he eventually sort of overcomes himself to reach out to her. Um, yeah. It's a, it's an extremely weird sequence. And, you know, I guess in if we extract this back to reality, my question is, why? Why would you want to be with someone who makes it so hard to be with them when they don't otherwise have, as far as I can tell, a tremendous number of redeeming qualities? Like, would you be better off with Dawn underwear? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, first of all, love doesn't work that way. You know, she may Fair have enough. feelings for this guy that she's been seeing out of the corner of her eye. Um but Which I, also seems a little bit creepy. He's been stalking her and inserting himself all over the ma- place. Mm-hmm. That is the major criticism that the movie has received is that it, for long periods of time, it's a little creepy that he's being such a stalker. And yes, a lot of people, I think, find that, um, that Otome would not... <laughs> that these that 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 senpai never proves himself quite worthy of her attentions. <laughs> yes, that's that's a great way to phrase it. What what is worthy about senpai? Right. Uh and you know, if you're going to have this sort of force of nature, I I keep referring to her as that, but she really is a dynamic character. She brings all these parties together. She outdrinks this otherworldly book god. Um she You know, she's involved in the play. She does all sorts of super cool stuff, really, when you think about it. And it seems like all sorts of boys would be very jealous and want, you know, find her desirable. Yeah, I think so. Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? Why is Ikea so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually... A lot of games. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is. to read a quote by the director that was given to anime uk news during an interview he says there's a saying in japanese when your sleeves touch that's a human connection 
So it means that there are so many people and their lives can touch yours and yours can touch so many people without actually knowing. So there are so many people in the world and meeting with other people is like an amazing possibility. So you can call it fate or coincidence, but I want to believe that. And I think it kind of ties into this movie because he was talking about this movie when he made this quote. But <laughs> no, I think that it it's a good way of thinking of sort of like, what of how the movie is structured. I I was talking about it before, but so many of the stories interconnect in some way and in interesting ways across both stories, across the male and the female perspective. There are characters who know each other and who impact each other in different ways through their relationships that are all sort of like I wouldn't say they all come to a head during the night, but many of them sort of like have big dramatic moments that are either um, pushed into action by the girl or in some cases by the guy. But I would say more the girl is the engine for those changes that that lead to big relationship changes and things. One of them is is Toto-san, who we talked about briefly and who I just wanted to mention, had this get-rich-quick scheme to um to farm Japanese goldfish or koi. Uh, some of which, if you don't know this, koi can sell for up to $17,000 a fish. Uh, but that's for like the most... I was going to say, that must be some very fine koi. Yeah, um, that would be like the most... Do you have to like cultivate them? Are they a particular size when you sell them at that, for that 34-inch Showa Maruse is the one type that sells for 17000 But they go as low as f- like 50 or $15. Isn't you know? that one of the fish that sort of grows to accommodate the size of the pool that it's in? I believe so. So there's probably a lot that goes into raising them, and it's probably a lot of money invested in them. But he says that a tornado or a... Um, a whirlwind or something took away his fish, which returned to him later in the film. Otome, he lost his money, so now he has to sell his beautiful erotic art in order to pay off a debt that he has with this uh, with this shady character named Rihaku, who is the old man, the ratty-looking old man that, uh, that Otome gets in a drinking contest with. And the drinking contest stakes are that if she can outdrink him, then Toto-san won't have to pay what he owes. It'll be even or squaresies. Even Steven. <laughs> even Steven. Even squaresies. <laughs> There's this alcohol. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's called imitation denki brandy or bran. And it's supposed to be so nice to drink. And it's it's obviously an imitation, though. And when the girl sits down to the drinking contest, she's told that she can have a chance to have some of this miracle drink. I love the description of that drink, by the way, which was somebody was trying to make the, the Desi Bran. And they made something that neither looked like it nor tasted like it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the imitation Desi brand and everybody loves it. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting scene though when she does go head to head with Rihaku and she's like Oh yes. And she's like, I think it tastes good. It's it's like it's warming to the soul or nurturing, you know? And we even see in her belly 
the the yellow gold of the Rihaku, not the Rihaku, the the Denki, the imitation Denki brand has like transformed from butterflies into flowers. And that's something about the girl that I forgot to mention that that's very interesting is that the scenes with the guy, they're a little more clumsy looking and the animation is a little bit crazier. And with the girl, you get a lot of like flower trails and her music is very like um, French cafe sort of. It definitely plays into the manic pixie dream girl uh, stereotype that you were referring to. But and she's dressed like little orphan Annie. <laughs> yeah, it. I I I I kind of liked this superpower of hers to be able to drink absolutely incredible amounts of alcohol, be completely unaffected by alcohol, um, and even really the need to use the bathroom. Do you remember um, when you were like that? Do you remember when you could drink like hand over? I fist? could never drink like that. Uh, I was such a I good remember, drinker in college. <laughs> oh, not I. I mean, I remember, yeah, I, I remember sometimes that I drank so much that I don't remember what happened. Uh, but that only happened like once or twice. And frankly, I never, I really never enjoyed drinking to excess. And I don't now. I think I had a lot of reasons that I was drinking to excess. But then my roommate, who was who would later be known as the Vomit King and who I will refer to as the Vomit King now, he had a, a really heavy night of drinking. And they they came for him um, because he... Okay, they so meaning the horsemen of the apocalypse? Let me set this up a little bit. I slept in a bed that was on stilts because of this, this man. And I was at the ceiling, like where I only had... This I didn't even have room to sit or? up and I had a pool... I had bunk beds and I had a pool ladder to get into my bed. That's how pool high off ladder. the ground I was. Why did you have a special ladder? Was this in college? Yes. And he. Was this needed, how the room was he, set up? He used a step to get into the bed because he had this giant chest that he put underneath his bed, our bed. And he put it up on these giant stilts. So I was literally, I would sometimes hit my head on the fire. Oh, the, the nozzle. On the fire no, alarm be- or the nozzle. Yeah. Which was ridiculous. I felt ridiculous. Anyway, my roommate at the time, he drank to excess one night and he went into his bed and he threw up over the side of it and then rolled out and fell like five, four feet off this bed onto the floor below, smashing through my CD case and also covering it in vomit. And they had like biohazard people come and take away some of my stuff. What? They had like emergency people come and they like loaded him into a chair that they then lifted up and carried out. So he looked like a fucking like royal king being carried by his vassals. It was so weird. The images have never left my mind. In fact, when he fell on the ground, his he landed on top of a moving fan. So like there was a there's like a fan in the room that was blowing air. He like fell on top of it and his body weight like absorbed it and it was just blowing and turning like like every so often underneath him. You could hear the like a flap of his skin. It was very vivid imagery. Honestly, this sounds um, quite foul and potentially uh, life damaging. He He quit school after this and he joined the military. So 
he obviously had reached some kind of rock bottom. Mm. Uh, he ate Cheez-Its and I've never been able to stand the smell since. It was so toxic, dude. Anyway, that's a gross story. I feel story. like you're getting you're getting <laughs> getting some un, unprocessed trauma out of your system right here. Right, I am really. But I mean, I don't even remember what I was talking about. This is just a crazy night. <laughs> well, we were talking about the the, the girl's ability to to, oh, yeah, drink to drink without, and you know, basically when the alcohol hits her belly, it turns into butterflies and flowers and good feelings that just float up into the ether which right and that sounds like a lot better than what actually happened and what did you make of the fact that he was such a negative individual and like he would drink and it would like make him older and more wise and more unhappy and she would drink and it would just make her you know happier and bubblier and and you know more positive yeah um he's like this tastes of nothing. And she's like, it's warm and robust. And he's like, life is fruitless. And she's like, it's abundant. And then, you know, on the one hand, he was talking from someone who, he was talking from the perspective of someone who has had lots of life experiences. And therefore, just by the sheer ratio of life experiences that he's had versus her, he's sure to have more negativity than her. And he I seems guess, to you know, have, it, it seems so to be a, a scale that is balanced towards but, him being negative. So is this the, so what is this viewpoint that ascribes negativity to the old, which is something you see in old people. They can be crotchety, they can be unhappy, and I it's personally as I I think yeah you know but but also there are old people who are positive and happy and you know he had a a, great life though that's the thing right I mean he's he's a he's in a fantastic position like he's he's got this incredible sort of moving castle like train that he gets around on he's got you know he seems like an amazing character and yet he's and in later when she encounters him when he's dealing with the cold he isn't nasty or mean or well, I guess he's a little depressed. No, but he but... he lays it out then. He says basically that he he was wealthy. Uh he found out that just having wealth wasn't good enough, so he got armed body bodyguards after somebody beat him up. And he also found out that he didn't need to get real love cuz he could just buy it. Right, but nothing ever was fully satisfying. He allows himself to have that perspective, I guess. And well, it's so interesting to me. You don't know, you think the girl is naive in this sense, though? Like, yes, she absolutely. just doesn't and have those experiences. And I mean, what is she? She's a reminder that like all those experiences he's had that make things feel negative aren't necessarily negative. Well, I so I guess the the question comes down to he wanted to feel to really feel to be connected. Yeah. Right. But he never got those things. Well, as she's on a quest just to experience whatever she can experience. And as a result, there is no way she could be disappointed because, you, I, you know, I'm making some assumptions here. Like she's not beset upon by a pack of ravagers and ripped limb from limb. Okay. Right. I mean, literally, yes, that would be a we literally experience. know nothing about her life except for that her mother was a strange, stern woman who... <laughs> I think she was some kind of temple person. I'm not sure. Yeah, I I don't recall. Well, there's like she taught her the otomodachi punch, right? The right tucked thumb. Right, the, 
That's right. supposed the, to the, look like the Maneki Nako, the thing that you see at the like shop that has its like paw waving at you. Right. You can't you can't hurt somebody with this punch. Well, because you can't punch them hard enough. If you bring, if you punch too hard, this is what I was always taught. You stick your thumb inside your fist and you punch, you'll break your thumb. So I was taught that too, but I'm hard. not sure how true it is. If you just like, if you just lightly, because like if you tuck your thumb all the way in where uh, you can't even see the second knuckle, that would break your thumb, I think. But if you just, I think you the- could do some serious damage to your hand if you, if you. Even have it sticking out. Why don't you try punching some walls there and see how it works out for you? Well, punching a wall would never work out for me, honestly. <laughs> Good. Well, then punch a punch a mattress. I don't like pain. <laughs> I mean, I'm not keen on it either, really. It's not going to break you, your finger. For those of you listening at home. Yeah, uh, don't do this at home. Whatever you noise, do. <laughs> that slapping noise is Brianna punching her palm with oh my her God. fist. Listeners, can I just point out that Don has just called me Brianna, which is not my name. No, I said Bree. You said Brianna. Didn't I? Yeah. I, I I apologize. I thought I had called you by the right name. That's not my name. Yo, that's not my oh. name. <laughs> I guess not. God, I, you know what? I don't have an answer for you exactly, but I, I kind of know. <laughs> Does that make sense? In it's terms like, of why like, he's so bitter? I think you're right. I think that she... Well, this relates to the fact that she hasn't invested herself in any of this. True. And the other thing is, like, in order... She she doesn't send she doesn't set out with a particular goal. It's not like she said to herself... Or like the trope of an 80s movie, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm going to... Like you, you, for a guy, I'd be like, I need to get laid by the end of the night, or you know, some girls like I need to find true love by the end of the night, or I gotta, yes. you know, find my prince or something. You know, she doesn't. She explicitly doesn't set out with that sort of goal. Um, she's almost like I'll just go whichever way the wind blows me, um, and she ends up having a fantastic night. But then, you know, this is why I I feel that the character of the senpai is sort of limited in that he has a particular desire that he's been you know, masticating for a long time. I yes, I deliberately chose that word. He's been he's been chewing on it and unable to commit to doing anything about it, and it's eating him up inside. Um while as for her, you know, she's she's carefree. She's out there having a great experience. And as a result, you know, she's much less burdened by any sort of unrequited feelings or un unmet desire. She doesn't sure. have desires that she's failing to meet and, and i and think when, that, that when you invest yourself in other people in in pursuits in goals in needs <laughs> i mean wants you risk losing that part of yourself that you invested you you risk you risk the the damage that you'll take from that investment and it sounds like you know, um, this Rihaku guy put his his feelings and things in things that didn't pan out and the things that he eventually found himself investing in never paid those dividends that he expected. So he's very much alone. But there he is drinking with a cute girl and she drinks him under the table. Apparently he had a cold at this time. He's one of the progenitors because he was coughing. Um and then at the end of the movie, he 
you sort of see that she's able to pull him out of that. I don't know what to call it. Self pity. That yeah, uh, I no. It's it's a paralyzing sort of self. It's navel gazing. It's, yeah, he's too caught up in his own his own. That's sort a great of way to put it. Whirlwind of of what might happen or what could happen. What should have happened just, is more him. Yes. Yeah. So. So and I I find that sort of character somewhat exhausting, particularly for all the reasons that, you know, that anyone would find it exhausting. It's like, well, that's all this Sturm and Drang, but nothing is ever occurring. Like you you have to sometimes you have to take the plunge and take the risk and move on. And listening, I you know what? This reminds me very specifically <laughs> of a of a friend uh, I used to have here in mm. Chicago who um he would he, tell us he lives in a train <laughs> No, he would. He told us these long, elaborate stories of these girls that he was interested in, and you know, discussing in painstaking detail, like the the interactions that they would have, um, and and what happened, and you know, clearly pining for these girls. But and he was an he was an absolute specimen of a guy, like sort of a not a lumberjack per se, but very well built um he was he was doing a lot of rock climbing indoors in great shape um stop <laughs> he he had a a beard uh, and wore these like glasses really smart guy uh, but he was also possessed by this terrible paralyzation when it came to women like i felt like he was just incapable of saying i you know just being assertive and almost aggressive to the point of like i i like you or i'm i'm attracted to you let's go do x as opposed to just you know trying to wait for that perfect moment for that kismet for that thing to bring them together which you know nine times out of ten just did not happen um when you're just sort of floating on the wings waiting for that other person to see you or, or feel you I remember one point I called him out on the fact that he just would never seem to execute. Like, stop telling us these stories about all these girls and all these experiences you're having. If you're unwilling to just take the, the sort of simple steps of trying to go out on a date with them. Like, nothing is going to happen for you if you don't take these steps. Um, it was not a high point of our relationship, I'll tell you. Um, but it was, uh, it absolutely reminds Did me. Did anything change? Uh between in between he and i no no like did he change his behavior at all that based on your admonishment no not based on anything i would do or not based on anything i said um i know later he did embark on a relationship but i don't believe that the relationship lasted so he's single to, that's what you're saying to my knowledge um we <laughs> are no longer friendly um he no longer interacts with me or or the people that I know. I'm sorry. Uh, and he was that. originally my wife's friend. Um, somewhat of a tragic tale, honestly. Oh, sorry. But but can but, I defend? Can I defend Senpai for just a second? I, please. This is one night. This is one fucking night. Like, is he obsessed with her constantly all the time, or is he obsessed because he keeps? Like, yeah, he's obsessed with her constantly all the time. This is the whole the whole no, build no, up at the not. beginning. He, well, okay. he has a life sorry. outside of this. He clearly he is he clearly is put together when he's not a drinking b out like having a crazy ridiculous night out in Kyoto. This is probably okay, his so Friday evening. Yes, he's 
he's able to he's able to maintain a stable existence in the absence of her but he does appear to sort of stalk her and show up where she's been he's clearly been plotting how he's going to intersect with her in a fate way ah, but remember you use the word he screws up the courage and that's kind of what we see through the whole thing he's just he's trying to get to that point where he can just tell her how he feels and yet the big the big scene at the end where she is basically having to fight through the storm and fight through these incarnations <laughs> yeah. of himself that are pushing her away it's like the exact opposite of all that well there's a lot of layers there there are a, the, you I know mean, in tatami galaxy johnny the uh the the character that looks much very much like woody from the toy story films riding bullseye <laughs> he is representative of both that sort of like pent-up longing and also libido uh i would say it edges more towards a longing like a pent-up like a longing for resolution of these feelings uh, like the cathartic like release <laughs> what 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 are we getting at here um i'm saying that in in tatami galaxy i often interpreted it as a sexual release building up whereas in this one i i see it a little bit more charitably <laughs> no I, I i don't feel like it's as i mean honestly it's rated pg-13 and aside from the um the pornography stuff the boob wall the boob wall i've i may i may not properly remember the boob wall oh i think it was just mentioned offhand but at any rate you know there's there's not there's not a lot of purient stuff it's not like it's not wallowing in filth no far you know far to the opposite there's it's the the girl is fairly chaste and pure as she's wandering around. She's There's not a, a naughty thought that crosses her mind. Let's talk a little bit about the visual look and the, the music and whatnot. I read a really good description of it from a review of the film by Tim Brayton, uh, in which he says that trying to describe the film's look in prose is a fool's errand, but if I was going to make a stab at it, I'd start by suggestion that the characters all feel like line drawings, round, empty shapes with only the bare minimum of detail to clearly define their faces and richly saturated clothes. Their skin is colored white, except where they are sick or drunk, both of which happen frequently, and turn magenta. Their bodies are like the caricatures out of a comic strip with elongated, distorted features that distort even more in moments of stress or enthusiasm. And he says, the boy's entire body contorts into a large comma-shaped curve when he's petrified by his humiliated libido. And the girl is generally <laughs> more normal, except she still can squash in herself into impossible shapes. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to top that. It's quite a look. <laughs> Does it remind yeah. you of anything? There was a movie like somewhere between 25 and 30 years ago that came out, which was like half regular movie, half animation, um, a little bit psychedelic. Are you talking about Waking Life? I might be, yeah. The rotoscoped one? So it vaguely like sparks glimmers of that in my mind in certain scenes. I I don't see that. it, It doesn't... It doesn't really connect to anything else. The animation style is not 
sort of near realism with with amazing vistas like what we saw in um uh your name or or um the other similar movie uh and it's not you know that the attention is not meant to be detail here it, it really does thinking back on our our opus of things that we've looked at it really the the animation is focused to make you sort of feel a plastic like nature to to the parties they they are sort of spongy and they're able to to absorb like the manner in which they swallow alcohol for instance very exaggerated very stylistic oh my god what um, about when they eat the hot pot during the oh yeah like, their, uh, their hot lips are aflame <laughs> they've got yeah, these they, huge they duck lips. lips yeah and, and like yeah. um the meat they're eating is like almost larger than their head Mm-hmm. it's quite ridiculous um they but don't i think that it's exaggerated and like the for example, the, the, the sophist dance um, is even more exaggerated by the, the style of, of um, animation that's being used here. Like the, the, it's not that the bodies are contorted more than they might be, but the, the angle at which the, the sort of weird duck walk oh, yeah. um, is, is displayed is, is really, really makes the lens to the overall sort of the the style of it being so so weird that it is in that it becomes a dance as but like if you saw someone trying to do this in real life you would just you'd think they were <laughs> mentally damaged <laughs> uh, but but if you're trying to describe some sort of like funny dance that these sophists are going to do um then this works right uh so I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought the anime style was mm. was good for the movie. It made sense in sort of the, and and as well, it allowed for the the flights of fancy, especially the ones where we have the 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 senpai's character fighting back the girl, and he's fighting different incarnations of. It actually felt very natural in the in the way in which the movie had been animated, and the this is what it is. It allows you to transition quickly between dreamlike states and yes. reality in a way that feels seamless and in ways in which you can't really tell which one is occurring but everybody's reaction to it is normal whether it's exaggerated or you know perfectly banal you know either could happen because you can't tell if this is supposed to be real or not but it doesn't matter like fantasy yes, and reality are, are merged together i also thought it reminded me a little bit of something like um and I only thought of this while you were talking, but it kind of reminded me of something from Liquid Television. Um, do you remember like Eon Flux where like the, the bodies would contort mm. in strange ways? Yeah. Um, like th there was a lot of animation in that era that sort of like kind of went outside the realm. Uh, it's not as rare, obviously, in Japanese anime anymore, but uh, definitely this director... Um, and this new crop of animators is sort of leading the charge in kind of getting away from very established anime conventions. Um, and I find that, I find that like increasing the amount of ways you can express things has only helped. Um, that, remember when we were noting in Azoken, or I was noting that the bodies got kind of rubbery? Absolutely. Exagger the exaggerated acts. 
Yeah, here I definitely see a lot of that coming yes. together. I also read this interesting description. It was actually a comment made by someone on the Tim Brayton review of the film, but it was by Salim Garami, and he wrote, "If Into the Spider Murf, <laughs> Into the Spider Smurf." <laughs> If, if, What's a Murph? Can you can you qualify that before we continue? If Into the Spider-Verse is the movie that made me feel most weightless and like the clouds are beneath me, Night is Short is the one that made me feel the most bubbly and like the world is before me. And I thought that was really nice because to me that really sums up what it feels like to watch the movie. And I don't know how you talk about that, but this person found a good way to say it. Um, I I felt like... The movie was so propulsive, um, even though it was so disjointed in a way, too. Like I said, there's there's clearly like at least three acts. And among those acts, uh, there's splintered little stories happening all the time. And it's not always clear the way that they're connected to each other until much later in the film. Like you don't learn like you, some of them are quick, like you learn that the the bride, um, Naoko, that just got married, that her father is Toto-san, right? But that that comes almost immediately after um, their, the, the scene of them drinking when he gropes Otome. <laughs> and, and then you learn that other characters are connected in weird ways. Um, well, for example, the... The sophist party she goes to where she learns the dance is actually a going away party for some for this yes. guy who who had his heart broken by a maiden. And then it turns out that the girl who broke his heart is the bride. Is the bride. From it's all the connected. First scene. It's all connected. Yeah. And I thought that this movie, aside from the stuff we talked about, you know, being young versus being old, changing your perspective, um, those kinds of things. Aside from the love story and stuff, I think it is about kind of like how people are connected. Um, the cold spreads in the same way that the drunkenness spreads. As one of the, as the, the guy pointing out in the review said, people who are sick are portrayed with the same color as people who are drunk. And I think it's because it's about social, it's about, it's a kind of a, a social activity. You know, it's hard to say that a pandemic <laughs> is a oh, social activity. Oh, so glad activity. we could loop the pandemic into this, but it's it hard absolutely to say. is. It's hard to say that like uh, a pandemic is a social activity, but it is, it's, it's uh, communicated through the interaction of people and this drunken sort of glee that spreads with Otome as she like wanders from party scene to party scene, uh, it spreads across the characters, eventually claiming some of them in drunkenness. But I thought that was a really interesting way of portraying like um, how all these lives sort of intersect and and to then signal out and other. Like Otome is othered from the very beginning of the movie because she doesn't get drunk and she doesn't catch a cold. I understand the the reverse significance of her being the cure-all, and I can understand that power being important as it relates to she basically also cures Senpai of his loneliness of his sort of mental demons that consume him as well. Like, there's a lot of curing going on in, in what she does 
when she she brings the cure to him, brings him sort of health and wellness. But I don't understand why, you know, aside from having to play that role, how, like, what it's otherwise supposed to mean that she doesn't get sick. Answer me that. Going from person to person looks from the outside like she's connected, like she's an act, she's, she's involved and invested in these people, right? She's given her time and care and energy, but they don't know anything about her. She's just sort of this fairy that flits from flower to flower, spreading, you know, magic fairy dust to different things. But in the end, she's not, she's not part of it until she is. She's above it. She's above all of it. Hmm. Because she's still moving forward. And I don't know if I'm saying this right. I mean, but I, I don't know either. It's, we can only speculate. But I would say that... I would say this. I wrote a poem about it. <laughs> it's not a poem. It's just some prose that I wrote. When I finished watching it, I was like... What a wild year this night has been. Only those who are still long enough for a moth to land on their face are permitted to catch cold. (laughs) (laughs) That ties into the character from Tatami Galaxy. The woman is always, uh, a moth is always landing on her and she's screaming. But I just saw the connection between the two films and I saw that, like I said, a rolling stone doesn't catch moss. Um, it's a lot. Do you have any questions about anything that sort of culturally or anything you didn't understand? I can tell you that in Tatami Galaxy, there was a character named Jogasaki who had a, a live-in girlfriend who was a doll, a life-size doll, who he treated with the utmost care. Sort of like that movie with Ryan Reynolds, um, Lars and the, the Real Girl. Um and he was a central character in that film, in that, in that series, TV series, and in that book. Uh, and he, his doppelganger, like he's, they, he's alluded to during the stage play. And also he is, there's someone who looks like him, who isn't him, who is playing him in the stage play. Um, the character, the god of books is, um, he is voiced by the same person as, uh, a character named Ozu, who's sort of a mischief maker and the one that gets all the blame uh, when when the main character of Tatami Galaxy has to assign blame to someone for why his life isn't getting going. Uh, he constantly blames Ozu until he realizes that Ozu is not the problem. <laughs> and uh, he's drawn very similarly and he has the same voice, so... Uh, lots of little connections to that series. You obviously didn't have to watch Tatami Galaxy to get everything you needed to out of... Um, no, it stands alone. Um, out of this. We didn't talk about the musical much. Did you Did you think it was Did you think it was a good choice to have those be musical numbers? They were quite goofy. I mean, I didn't really think did of it like sense? a musical. Like, I didn't... It didn't really register to me. To me... It was all. It didn't register as a musical. They were singing, and there was music. I, I know, but to me, it's just another form of expression in the way that they were, 
like it fit into the whole crazy vibe of what was going on. I didn't, I didn't really think about that as being an expression of a musical the way that I might, oh, I don't know. I'm going to try and pick a musical and I can think of the one, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, uh, but the, the I, I, I thought it was a fine choice, but I, it's not like I would say, go see this musical. Um, it's not like I'd want to listen to the soundtrack separately. It's like the, maybe you would. Uh, I'm not sure I would. I mean, it's kind of like the one that sticks in my mind in terms of musicals. This was not a movie, but um, chess is a, it's from like the 1980s. Absolutely beautiful music. Um, horrible uh, play or, or, you know, the, the actual plot that surrounds it just doesn't, lend to a compelling story but the music so it's a taste level thing i mean does it qualify as a musical or not now i'm confused i i mean but there's so much of it that wasn't musical right the stage play no no i'm not talking about it's all sung what oh i'm sorry I'm, i'm back to the nice short walk on girl i mean i would not have counted it as a musical there's plenty of music in it and plenty of musical numbers in it but that doesn't that to me did not alone make it a musical. Okay, well, I liked it. Um, I didn't. I don't think I would also listen to a CD of it because it's kind of crazy. But yeah, it is a little bit crazy, uh, and it's kind of fly by the seat. I was trying to say fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, like they just came up with the music on the fly and <laughs> literally just throwing down words. Uh, there's some really weird lyrics in it, uh, but it worked for me. I just, as you said, it's an interesting way of expressing something. And I think this movie has several cool ways of expressing its ideas. And it's just a cool movie. Like, I would suggest anyone who wants to see something that's different, um, something that I'm glad that we're not doing. It's not a high school story. (laughs) No, it's. We've done so many stories set in high school. Although it's not. To finally have something. Not far removed. But I mean, honestly. Not far removed, but. It it's it is a more adult sensibility. Um, it was a it was an interesting movie. It was it it was definitely like it, it gave us a lot to talk about here. I think it's it's absolutely worth watching. I did feel that you know again a little too navel gazy on the um, the senpai, but the I really liked the character of the girl. I just actually wanted more dimensionality there. I'm fine with the way that it was presented and what we got out of it. Um, If I had any complaints about it, I would say some of the characters aren't consistent. Like um, if the guy um, Rihaku were supposed to feel sorry for him at the end and we're supposed to feel some kind of uh, joy at seeing Otome solve his resolve his story bring him back from the brink of like despair uh it's weird to see him also be this rare book collector who puts people through misery for his own edification you know he seems to get to get a sick pleasure out of watching people compete for the right to uh access his rare books yes that was creepy it's creepy it's creepy um and you know, we're supposed to forget that. I don't know. Those were my kind of like hangups with the film. 
And, you know, uh, some of it's just a little too weird sometimes, but I like weird. And I think if you like weird, you'll like the movie, too. Uh, it's not really a review. I'm just saying, like, as far as the movies that we've done, this was one of my favorites because it just was it was just so sure of what it was. And it, it, it's just so confident. Don, it's been awesome. If you haven't seen The Tatami Galaxy, which I don't think you have, I definitely suggest it. It's much more breakneck uh, speed on the dialogue. Um, I think they did a better job of sort of translating the denseness of the novels to uh, to the film version as opposed to the TV series, which just sort of throws everything out there and hits you with... so It's so fast in Japanese that the subtitles are actually hard to keep up with when you're first watching it. But this movie, they slowed it down. They they presented a lot more of that relentless pace through the presentation and the visuals and the audio. And I think it works really well. And it's a, if you're, if you're considering watching one of these, I would say start with the night is short walk on girl, because it's a little bit more accessible, honestly. Um, thank you so much for no no problem thank you so much for joining me for this conversation yes and we will be back again for our next episode it's going to be on the belladonna of sadness uh, which is going to be something else entirely again um, we're trying to get outside our comfort zone of high school kids <laughs> which is not by which is not on purpose it's just one of the many oft used shades of japanese anime if you guys are interested you can check out all that we're doing come to our twitter it's twitter.com slash okashina podcast o-k-a-s-h-i-n-a podcast uh, we have all of our information there don do you have anything else you want to say before we go no thank you very much for um taking me in this journey through uh the night is short walk on girl yeah, this was a long night for us. It wasn't short at all. <laughs> or was it short because I'm a beautiful girl that you're sitting talking to and time flew by? No, it was super long. Okashiku, ikoyo! That was pretty good. For a bunch of drunks. 